But, you know, when we started promoting this stuff to Syracuse or Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, um, certainly New York City, people were like, well, we've got a restaurant week. We've got a martini walk. And so we started to think, what is it we could do that was so different, so innovative, that highlighted the arts community that nobody would say, we've got one of those? It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rule book, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Susan Campbell, and this is The Big Rethink. Art described as transformative and transcendent is often coupled with cities like Paris, New York, or Miami. But some of the most impactful and memorable art today can be found where you might least expect it. Every September in Binghamton, New York, the town's city hall turns into a gingerbread house and the courthouse becomes Stonehenge. Projections envelop the architecture and the effects seem real. But arguably, the greatest impact goes beyond the canvas. The Luma Projection Arts Festival, a projection mapping, immersive art experience, is a revitalization of the Binghamton community. On today's episode of The Big Rethink, we speak with Luma co-founders Joshua Bernard and Tice Lerner to discuss the power and benefits of community-based art, storytelling, grassroots events, and the impact tech and art has had on our ability to experience meaningful and emotional connections. A very big intro for two super cool guests. Welcome, Josh. Hi, Tice. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you guys um, for so many reasons. First of all, the, the Luma Festival is just such a neat um, a neat project, and I love that it takes a, a smaller town, right? Not an A-list city. Um, no offense to my friends in Binghamton. I love Binghamton. But um, and turns it into this like destination. So talk to us about how you got started um, with the Luma Festival. What inspired you to create it? And why Binghamton? I, I think one of the things that we like to emphasize is we don't actually believe something like Luma could have built, been built in, quote, an A-list city, right? I think um, uh, a lot of the advantages that we had in building Luma came from the nature of the city. So Binghamton is a Rust Belt city, um, you know, which means, you know, it's shorthand for what? We've seen population decline. It's sort of a, um, uh, uh, you know, as we've moved towards more of a post-industrial economy, um, it's become difficult to retain certain jobs in places like Binghamton. And so places like Binghamton have had to reinvent themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, we're not just talking about Binghamton here. We're talking about the Pittsburghs. We're talking about the Detroits. Um, this is just an example of what's happened all over America. Um, so I moved to uh, Binghamton uh, about 15 years ago. And I, I, what I saw was actually excited me. I had always lived in, in larger cities, larger towns, and um, I discovered a, a, a town that was reinventing itself. And one of the ways it was reinventing itself was through the arts. Um, all of these artists had moved downtown. They had bought up lofts. They had bought up galleries. And they had begun this first Friday Art Walk as a way to get people to come back to downtown, which had really been abandoned. Um, a lot of people had moved out of the center city. 
Um, and it made, obviously, these buildings a little bit cheaper uh, to buy up. Um, so there were a lot of exciting opportunities. Um, the art scene started this whole phenomenon of, of the rebirth of downtown Binghamton. What followed were uh, restaurants. We have a great university here, so student housing grew up. Um, obviously, bars for some of the kind of university community. Um, and downtown was starting to happen again. But one of the things was the reputation of the city was lagging behind. People didn't think of us as an arts community. People didn't think of us as revitalized or reinvigorated or reinvented. Um, obviously, the local community did, but not... You were, you were the best kept secret, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's one thing to revitalize. It's another thing to reinvigorate reputation, yeah. right? So then we said, how do we get the word out? And, and we had all these great events we had built during the, the, the rebirth. You know, we had a Binghamton Restaurant Week. We uh, started planning this Binghamton Martini Walk, which was the competition between all the different restaurants. Uh, there's a, a, a uh, mansion right at a downtown. Every New Year's, we started this masquerade in the mansion, which was a huge event for everyone in the community to go to. Um, but, you know, when we started promoting this stuff to Syracuse or Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, um, certainly New York City, people were like, well, we've got a restaurant week. We've got a martini walk. And so we started to think, what is it we could do that was so different, so innovative, that highlighted the arts community that nobody would say, we've got one of those? And that's when Tice came along to me. We were friends. Tice is an amazing artist, a street photographer. And he said, what do you know about projection mapping? And I said... <laughs> I've heard, I think I've heard the term. That's it, literally, just heard the term. And so we went on to YouTube together and he started to show me these remarkable examples of art using, um, of using art to make architecture come alive, to make it transform, to use it as a canvas. Um, totally bespoke work, uh, work that was built for particular architecture, particular buildings that just couldn't work anywhere else. That's what made it special. And I thought, this is remarkable. Um, and, and, um, yeah. And so that, that's kind of where the inspiration came from. That's fascinating. I did not know that history. I've, you know, I've heard of the Luma festival and I've seen pictures of it, but I never really know how you got your start. So Tice, talk to me about what inspired you to ask that question. Have you heard of projection mapping? Yeah, I mean, uh, as Josh said, I have a background in, in, in photography, but um, the other thing I, I did is a lot of uh, practical effects work, uh, designing prosthetics and animatronics. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, and before that, I even had an engineering background uh, in, in school. So um, I've always been interested in the forefront of art and technology and how the two merge together. Um, but the other thing uh, is, you know, I, I, I've always had a huge passion for practical effects. And the thing about it is, is making an adult feel like a child again, you know, that kind of line between reality and fiction. And if you can make someone think for just like one moment that the impossible is possible. Um, and the fact that something like projection mapping can basically take a digital asset and make it feel physically tangible. Uh, and, and, and we can take that, that impossible digital world and, and, and implement it into a physical public space. Uh, you know, that, that's, that was really what attracted me to it. Um, and having seen demos online, uh, and then when I approached Josh, uh, you know, what, my, my, my big, my, one, this is one of my big philosophies when I'm, when I'm trying to sit, like, think about a new project, uh, if we're um, going to do something, you know, are there tutorials on how to do it? You know, the number one thing I want to find is no tutorials. So you can write the book. You can write the book. If, if, there's, if there's already a step-by-step -step guide, you're too late. Got it. Got it. 
And, and of course, my intuition was exactly the, the opposite. I immediately said, but Tice, <laughs> I, I've been searching online and I have no clue how to do it. He goes, great. That's exactly what we want. I went, OK. And we, and we literally started by uh, projection mapping my kitchen cabinets behind me right now. I love um, it. That's where Luma began is in my living room. Well, it's funny because I've often wondered, like, Luma Festival, what a cool idea. How did they choose Binghamton, you know? And now I realize it was Binghamton that chose Luma Festival. And so it's just all the more special. You, you know, what, what are some of the other things that make Luma a unique uh, projection festival or art festival? I think I think a lot of a lot of these types of festivals they start from from the mindset of how do we bring lots of tourists into an area, um, which of course is very important to us. But you know, coming from a from from more of a fine art background, um, you know, my my first thought and 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 Josh's first thought was how do we create you know an amazing public art gallery. Um, you know, both of us have a huge passion for storytelling, uh, whether it be through video, still image, through through audio. Um, there's always an opportunity to tell a great story. So with storytelling and projection mapping, we're, it gets us back to kind of the roots of of something I feel like we've lost, which is this idea of, of um, this kind of, you know, public um, story experience, like going to a movie theater, you know, back in, you know, let's say the nineties, you know, the only way you could see the best Hollywood picture is going to a theater with your friends. And you were in this room with, you know, 50, hundred more plus people, depending on the size of your theater. And you got to experience that story with everybody. You know, there was an amazing moment that popped up on the screen and there was a gasp and an awe, um, you know, we've lost that. And, and you know, the idea of going to a movie theater is a lot less appealing with modern televisions. Um, they look, they just look too good. Um, and, you know, you don't have, you know, VHS, you know, is no longer a thing. So things are out really quickly and, and they just look too good. Uh, so, you know, going to a public place to, to see a story with a group of people, uh, that's something that, that Luma can bring. And that's something we really want to infuse into the festival. It's not just fireworks. You know, it's not just, you know, a spectacle for, for, a, for a, a tourism headline. It's truly an immersive storytelling experience that nobody else can, can replicate except for that moment. Yeah. You know, we, we live in this increasing age of isolation. Tyson and I talk yeah. about this a lot. And uh, one of the things we think that has connected us in past ages is is storytelling is is a shared uh, common cultural vocabulary is an arts experience um and and the more we are at home the better as tice says the technology gets the better our surround sound gets the larger our screen gets the higher resolution we are the less of a need we have to experience communal communal storytelling and the less of a common vocabulary we have and therefore the less of an ability we have to talk to each other to connect to each other to um empathize with each other Absolutely. and so part of the mission of luma is to build that shared storytelling experience to rebuild that common cultural vocabulary, uh, certainly among uh, a local community, um, which is, by the way, very different than the, uh, the the larger media markets where the where most of the media comes from, right? right. But then to expand that common voc- vocabulary nationally and internationally. 
Yeah. So that the community is built through the shared experience of the arts and the projection and the and the storytelling. But you're also building the community in other ways, too, in Binghamton, right? Because you're sourcing and staffing folks to work the festival locally. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, we are so incredibly proud of how grassroots the festival uh, was built. And again, you know, uh, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? This is a cliche, but what does that mean? Well, look, we are Binghamton. We have a population of 45,000. What does that mean for building what we want it to be a world-class festival? It means way less money. It means way fewer resources. It means fewer connections. And so how do you get around all that? Well, a lot of it, I mean, it's scotch tape and scissors and hard work and elbow grease, right? It is It is. It is building the energy and the love and the passion for the thing and building it community-wide so that everybody pushes in the same direction. And that's what we built in Binghamton. Um, a lot of festivals you'll see, they'll bring in uh, a national or an international um, uh, uh, production team that does this kind of thing all over the world, that does it at concerts, that does it at Broadway shows. We did not have that luxury. Um, you know, I, I believe in the second or third year, uh, Tice priced something along that, and we looked at this and we looked, this is five times what we what we spend on an individual feature to do one of these features. And, and how do we do it? Well, to begin with, we found folks like us. We found people that had a passion for the arts, that had a passion for technology, that were geeks, that were sort of weekend warriors that loved to sit at home and, you know, uh, program on their free time and dream and dream. What can I build? Um, what can I invent? What can I tinker with? Um, so our technical directors, which are the folks that run our live production, are the IT director of the community college. Um, they they run the network at the high school. Um, uh, you know, some of them answer the phone at the help desk um, at the hospital. You know, for for computer problems. Um, that that's the team we put together, and we train them nights and weekends on the software that we use to run the live production on the Panasonic projectors, um, and what's been really remarkable and really exciting is we've developed over time this symbiotic relationship with our, our technology partners, um, whether it be our software partner, whether it be Panasonic, where Panasonic will send out an engineering team for the whole week. And it's this extraordinary relationship where the Panasonic engineers will be teaching um, you know, these, these sort of uh, uh, very, very serious, I, I don't I'm not comfortable calling them amateurs because the reality is they've made themselves into a hardcore professional team, but they started as amateurs, right? And and it's thanks to those relationships that they have, have become this highly professionalized um, team uh, that is local only to Binghamton. We, we, uh, Tice got a call uh, from one of our artists that was doing an event across the street from the Super Bowl a couple of years ago and said, can we hire your production team? Can you give us the name of your production team so we can you know bring them in for them? And we go, We'll give you their names, but they have day jobs. They can't, you know, and he went, what do you mean? I go, they, they, they full-time do other things. So that's been part of the, and by the way, um, what's been special for the artists and what's been special for our technology partners like Panasonic is they feed off that energy and the passion of our homegrown team. Um, so our, 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 our tech team is homegrown. Our production assistants are drawn oftentimes from uh, university art students that want to learn 
um, uh, about the technologies and the process and have developed connections with these international artists that fly into Binghamton. Uh, and by the way, I mean, to give you a sense of like how inaccessible these artists would otherwise be, uh, there is no international airport in Binghamton. Um, in fact, until um, uh, this year, there was no direct flight to New York City from Binghamton. So we're talking about, you know, our artists fly into New York City and drive up to Binghamton. And so that gives you a sense of like how special it is to build that symbiotic relationship between local artists, community members, and folks that are traveling last year from Indonesia to bring us their special style of art. And how, how do you go about sourcing those artists and... Uh, how does the festival somewhat come together, right? You've got the canvas of downtown and um, do you come up with a concept and then look for people to deliver it or do you look for the talent and then have them develop the concept? Like, how does that come about? I'd like to say more, more of a holistic approach to it. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of festivals will have like themes and, and things that they want to shape everything around. Um, and I think of myself when I'm creating a project um, you know, if I'm not getting hired by, like, say, a big brand to create something, I just want to create. Um, and, you know, I, you know, we really want Luma to be this, this public art gallery that allows every artist to express their own vision. Um, you know, so I, I really approach it from the sense of what is the project that you've always dreamed of doing? And, you know, tell us what that project is and let's see if we can green light it. Oh, Tice, I love that approach. That That's how you get the best of everything, right? <laughs> how often does someone tell you, ask you, what do you want to create, right? Well, that's exactly it. Um, if you don't have the, uh, you know, if, 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 if you try to force people into, into, into your own, you know, vision and your own um, style of work, you're not really going to pull their full potential. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, walk around sometimes with Josh, sometimes with myself. We're always taking pictures of things downtown. So, you know, create an archive of buildings. Uh, you know, the city works so closely with us, uh, as well as all the community members and business owners. You know, it's rare that we would have a stone wall on, on you know, using a, di a particular surface. We were even able to, you know, for the, for this past year and, 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 and in 2019, we actually shut down a good portion of an entire parking garage for an artist um, so that we could use the sub sub level underground. So they have a fully isolated, you know, urban, urban, you know, space to work with. Um, so, we, you know, we, we create, I, you know, we give these archives of, of different um, surfaces and, and spaces. And, I, you know, the, the first thing I'll say to, to an artist is take a look at these, but also, you know, here's an address of downtown Binghamton, go, go take a flyover. And if you see something I didn't give you, tell me what that is. And we'll also look into that. Oh, that's cool. So they can take their pick and, and, and sometimes the building itself, it might be an inspiration to them, or they are looking for a building that fits what, what they're kind of having their, in their, uh, their back of their mind that they're looking to bring to life. Yeah. I, I you know, it's gone both ways. Um, I've definitely, you know, we've definitely heard artists say, uh, the building, you know, inspired yeah. X, Y, and Z. But you know, one one of our one of our um, featured artists that that have done some of, some of our best work, he was always looking for particular buildings because he had an idea. Um, you know, he, he worked with a lot of motion capture and dance performance, so it involved you know digital actors moving across the building. So you need a very particular type of surface to map to to make that work. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, it, it, it can go in any direction. So let's talk a little bit about logistics and um, what are some of the benefits of creating a large scale arts festival in a smaller city? There's got to be some benefits, but I imagine also some challenges. What's the logistics piece look like for you all? When it comes to kind of, is it easier, is it harder to produce a festival like this in a larger or smaller city? We really believe it's it's easier in a smaller city. Obviously, there are challenges. There's the economic challenge. Um, we saw somebody try to start up a festival similar to Luma um, a couple of years ago, and um, uh, they had a total of five corporate sponsors. We looked at that, and we looked at our list of over 100 uh, small business sponsors, and we, we thought, wouldn't it be really nice to make five phone calls and have five meetings? <laughs> so obviously, like there are those challenges. Um, you know, that that's just a, a card hold, uh, a hard cold reality of the situation. Um, that being said, the passion that comes from those 100 mom and pop restaurants and cafes and hair salons. Um, you know, there's nothing like that kind of energy. So that's really, really nice. Um, the other thing is, you know, uh, we really wanted to format the festival logistically um, differently than uh, other festivals, other art festivals of its type. So, you know, obviously our emphasis has always been on the art, but then once you've built great art, there's the marketing element. How do we, how do we distinguish ourselves? What's our unique uh, marketing proposition. And we said, okay, there's a lot of festivals in Europe that are formatted where it's, um, uh, it's, it's, you know, 10 projection mappings in a night on one building and it becomes a competition. So that's already taken, right? Like, like you can see that 10 different places in Europe. And we said, what if we're more transformative? What if we're able to close down all of downtown, turn it from, you know, a, a car centric, uh, center city into a pedestrian haven um, and really turn it into a, an open air outdoor art gallery or even theme park for the night where everything around you is transformed. You walk from building to building and each corner has something new, has something different, has something transformative. And so the fact that the town is so small is one of the things that allowed us to close down the entire footprint. You know, we have a meeting um, each year at the beginning of the year with the county, with the city, with the municipal police, with public works. And we say, OK, here's what we're planning on doing. We want to close this this street, this street, this street, this street. Um, I, I just um, got to visit another festival in an American city this past year that's just starting out. It's their first year. And they told us that they had great support from the city government. And I said, that's awesome. And I said, how's it been going? And then, and then they said, well, they just won't let us close any streets. And I went, and, and, and by all means, they did have great support from the city government, but it's so much harder for a city to close a street um, when your city is X million people versus when your city is, you know, 50,000 people uh, strong. And I think also your your sponsorship base of 100, right? You say there's challenges working that out logistically, but you've got 100 companies who are in favor of shutting down the street because they're in favor of the festival. That's exactly right. And, 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 and back to the sort of passion element, which is a lot of them, thankfully, take a long-term view of things. So not every one of them, uh, first of all, our goal is that as many of them possible uh, benefit financially from um, uh, that cash injection, that, that economic injection of the city. And, and I would think that most of them do. But there's a couple of places here and there where it's like, okay, this is not someplace a tourist is going to stop into. So my business is more or less kind of stuck for the day. Uh, a friend of mine runs a very small hair salon that, that caters to a very select clientele. And 
you know, th there is so much energy and passion and understanding around this that there is is very little griping over the fact that, right. quite frankly, for the day, his business had a much more difficult time to operate. Um, and so that's that's been a really great uh, element to this as well. And and you mentioned the economic impact. Your the number that you bring into the community is pretty astounding. Yeah. Um, over the course of we, we do a two night festival. And over the course of that weekend, um, we generate over two million dollars in economic activity for the city. And for a city the size of Binghamton, that is uh, uh, more meaningful than I can describe. That is huge. At that two million dollars is a big number. That's that's real. Uh, that's real money, <laughs> no matter what size, I think. But and I and and I think do you do you reflect back on the the initial objective about how do we rehabilitate our image or get people to think of us differently to get people to come and 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 enjoy the arts and the restaurants in our city? Do you feel like y you've you've completed that mission and now you're just um, uh, circling the galaxy again? Like, or do you feel like, oh, there's still more to do or? Yeah, it, it it's interesting. I've seen the coverage around Luma, especially the national coverage transform. So what do I mean by that? Well, you, you opened up your intro with a very natural framing, which is when you think about uh, artistic innovation or or the best art in the world, or I can't remember exactly you framed it, you said, you think of cities like Paris, you think of cities like Barcelona, you think of cities like New York, um, but, but do you always think of a city like Binghamton? I will tell you that like to an article, almost every um, uh, writer that, that wrote a, in our first year that we worked with a, a, a national PR firm, um, you know, we were covered, I think it's Smithsonian Magazine, the Boston Globe, um, time out in New York. <laughs> uh, almost every writer began their article that way because that's the natural instinct, which is like, what? Binghamton, New York, right? One of the things that's happened over time is we get less and fewer and fewer of those framings where even if we got uh, our first article this year out of People Magazine, we were selected in 100 Things to Love About America. Um, it's almost like the authors are like, they look at what's happened here and what's developed here, and they almost feel silly for not knowing it was here rather than framing it as, you know, oh, it's it You've is arrived. really crazy that this yeah. thing exists, right? Like they're like, oh, yeah, they're almost embarrassed to not know about it, which is like, again, it's sort of a public perception thing. It's not to to be um, uh, 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 really sort of highfalutin about it, but it's like it, it's amazing how public perception changes, and, and that 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 the way that a single event can transform or a single brand can transform people's idea of a region. I love it. I love it. So the 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 initial conversation that that we started with back to, you know, how did you get Luma started? And, and Tice asked you, well, what do you know about projection mapping? Like, what's the next conversation like that between you and, and Tice? Do you see a, um, a change or an evolution? Uh, what's next? Every year, that's, that's, that's kind of the question we come up with because, um, you know, whether you know whether it's projection or, or or some other type of light art, there's always something else you can do with it. Um, you know, <clears throat> there was a company that we worked with in 2019, or sorry, a company we worked with in 2021 <laughs> uh, that at one point in Europe declared projection mapping is dead. Um, because they've been doing it for so long, you know, and and, and they want to move on to you know other. Um, other ideas. Um, but, you know, th th what's incredible about that is, is you know, the flexibility of, of modern projector technology 
um, you know, we're, we're only scratching the surface and, and, and the limits of what's possible. I mean, you know, if you went back, you know, even five years, you know, we didn't have the kind of large scale, for example, 3D printers that we have now, you know, so we, we you know, we're seeing artists that are that are printing these incredibly large sculptures for, for projection. Right. The conversation for, I, I think, between Josh and I, you know, it's it's often hard to say what the next thing is and we're always you know we're always trying to figure that out whether it's searching online or or traveling to different tech events or or other festivals um but you know the most important part of this is the conversation with our creatives our partner our creative partners um you know because they're always rethinking you know what's what's possible um you know every year that they come here and and they're displaying a piece of art you know, by 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 the by the last night when we're all you know starting to unwind and and you know we're having a night out, you know they're already talking about what they want to do next year, and that's you know that that's where we're unfolding the next step and 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 how do we take this to the next level? In many ways, I'm the one out there with their like eyes wide, consuming all of this different stuff that I'm quite frankly sometimes easily impressed by, and Tice <laughs> becomes the filter for okay. What's actually different? What's actually new? What actually haven't I seen before? One of the reasons is that Tice just just voraciously consumes stuff on the internet, and he's constantly reading about the newest technologies. Constantly, he'll call me about a new camera sensor, about a new you know CPU chip, like every you know things that like and excited, right? And like and, and what what that allows him to do is really understand, I think, because he doesn't just understand the geek side of it, right? He understands the applied side of it, so. In the same way, when I see something new in the arts world and send it to him, and he goes, I've already seen five of that. You know, whereas like sometimes he'll go, oh, I haven't seen that before. And that's the stuff that we really start pursuing most vigorously, um, uh, w which is not to say that things that haven't been uh, that, that have already been done. Um, that there's no place for it, right? There is a, a level of advancement and mastery and 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 marginal improvement in in a, in a form or an idea that's already been tried, but the bar is a lot higher, right? Um, so it's that balance of like, you know, let's take people that have mastered something really cool and neat and creative and interesting in this area and let them kind of continue to play versus like out in left field, oh my God, I, I, I've never seen anything like that before and introduce those things um, as well. So I think um, we are in that phase right now of, of me shooting Tice links. Um, I, I had mentioned that I went to one of the oldest light, um, art festivals in the world, uh, Fête Lumière, and saw just a ton of arts uh, and, uh, and met with, uh, God, 20, 30 different artists one-on-one -on -one, um, and, and kept shooting Tice links. What do you think of this? 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 Because um, this is, in many ways, our favorite part of the year of the possibility of, of what it is. One of the things that we always tell, um, uh, especially our, 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 our supporters, our funders, government officials that help us, is what makes Luma special is its constant evolution. Um, we do not rest on laurels. We don't rest on tradition. Um, we, we want it to feel like a new festival each year. We want it to feel different everywhere. We want it to feel like, have I been to this before? I thought I was, but everything looks different. I mean, that's our goal for our audience. Right. That's so cool. Well, so I want to know, I got to um, mark my calendar for the 23. What are the dates for 2023? Uh, September 8th and 9th, uh, 2023. 
Awesome. Okay. So um, all our listeners can mark their calendars as well. I just can't thank you enough. I, I, I'm blown away at how the festival came to be and how it was really born in Binghamton. It wasn't an idea that then found Binghamton. I love that. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Folks listening today enjoyed the podcast. You can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. Or if you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Susan Campbell, and that was another episode of The Big Rethink. 